Music is so hot, I can just feel it. It's not mm. playing, but I just mm. feel it. <laughs> our heads are nodding. Yeah, our heads are nodding. All right, today on Seeking Wisdom, we're going to talk about uh, how to keep your team focused on customers, even as your team starts to get big uh, beyond 100 people. I call this one stopping the bullshit. Boom. All right, so if you've been listening to Seeking Wisdom uh, for a while now or or following what we're doing uh, at Drift or just following David over the years, you know that there's kind of one... There's one theme that we always talk about and it kind of, you know, is the glue between a, a lot of stuff that we talk about here and it's being customer driven. Um, but maybe let, let's tell the people what customer driven means before we kind of dive into this episode or at least what it means to you. For me, it's pretty simple. It means putting the customer first. And if you think about a, a pyramid kind of hierarchy, we put the customer first, then we put individual contributors on the team next. And then managers, directors, blah, blah, blah. You just keep going on. And uh, the higher your title, the further you are, you are down at the bottom of that pyramid or that reverse pyramid and customers are at the very top. And that means that we are here to focus and, uh, and to build for customers first. Yeah. And it's not just a fluffy thing. It's like the reason you're in business is to create and keep customers, right? And so That's you it. don't know the core of that. That's the only reason for businesses. Yeah. Um, and by the way, if you haven't, uh, go all the way back to the first episode of Seeking Wisdom, uh, not episode zero, but episode one. Uh, we talked about, uh, being customer driven and how to build a customer driven team. So that's a good one to go back, uh, and check that out if you're interested in, in hearing more about the topic. Um, but anyway, wanted to talk today about being customer driven as you grow because you have been asked to go to companies that have like started to scale. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they always say like, Hey, we've kind of lost our mojo a little bit. Um, it's easy to be customer driven when you're small, like, yep. cause there's, you know, there's fewer people, everything is easier. Mm-hmm. Uh, but once you start to scale, let's say past a hundred employees is what we're going to talk about, uh, today. So what, first of all, what's the big, what happens after you get, like, what do people want to hear from you? And, and you've, you've been at big companies and it's happened. Like what happens after you get past, you know, after you start to scale, why do you lose touch of customers? Well, first, I think they want to talk to me, and it's usually the CEO, the board of that company that asked me to talk to the team, and what they're feeling is pain. So, And the pain is usually that uh, things have slowed down, especially from a product engineering standpoint, but across the team, it could be in sales or marketing, have really slowed down as they've begun to scale, and they're trying to understand, and they're frustrated uh to know why things have scaled and they've added a lot of people to the company. So that's the symptom that they feel. And then they asked me to come in and talk about like how to, how to scale a customer driven organization. Yeah. And that, that kind of sucks, right? Like if you, you're building a company, it's so fun. It can be, well, it's also nerve wracking and crazy in the early days, but like part of the fun is that the team is small and Mm -hmm. there's no bullshit and you just do what you want. Um, but then you'd start to grow and just more people adds more process adds more crap. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, um, it's, it's kind of easier to be customer driven when you're small because the incentives are aligned, right? You existing and you not going out of business <laughs> is highly aligned yeah. with listening to customers in those early days. But as you, as you scale and get bigger, you know, we, um, we begin to kind of, uh, value our, 
own opinions too much or kind of think like now we know we've hit this point of of scaling the company and now we know better than customers and so all of a sudden we start to lean on our own experiences versus going back to the customer yeah I, so i wrote a I wrote a note you and i were just kind of like trading slack messages about possible topics that's usually how this stuff comes up and you said uh you call this like reversion to the mean yeah which means like when you know every marketer, designer, PM, engineer, whatever, after a while, when they're left alone, they just kind of revert back to their old ways. Yes, and so they they revert either back to their own ways or they start to listen to conventional wisdom. Right, two words that we hate: conventional wisdom, because it's usually wrong. And so, like things like, oh, this is how people. I don't know who people are, but like people say, this is how a company should be run, or they say that you know once you get over a hundred people, you need these additional kind of people uh, in the company or you need kind of middle managers or you need this kind of structure. And so they start to listen to they too much. And, uh, and so we stay away from they and conventional wisdom. All right. So how do we, how do you actually fix this? Like if you're listening to this podcast and you're at a company that Mm -hmm. has more than, I'd say even more than like 20 people there can just start to bullshit can kind of start to creep in. Mm -hmm. Um, so maybe like share, you don't have to share like who, which company and how you shared the story, but just maybe use them as an, as an example. And so like they said, Hey, we've kind of lost our way a little bit. Yep. What you stood up in front of this company and like you gave, what advice did you, did you give them? Like, how do you fix this? Actually, I give this advice a lot. I, I just gave it this morning to two people and, uh, who kind of run HR and kind of a larger company. And so, you know, what I said to them was, um, there are lots of lots of things that we have done in the past that are that are, lead you in the right direction, but some of them are too big of a change for these companies to take on. And I think the simplest change is actually usually the most effective and um, the one that I would push here, which is to push more and more face to face communication on their team. And this is the one that usually teams kind of push back on the most as they begin to scale because again they listen to conventional wisdom and they think like, oh one-on-ones and talking to people directly, whether it's customers or people within my team doesn't scale. So we need to, we're getting big now. So we need to add some process. So we need to add some people and we need to like put these buffers. And so the first thing I would say is push more one-on-one communication throughout the company. Uh, And a good way to know when that's not happening is to look at all these conversations and see how many of them are telephone, basically how many of them are second, third, fourth, fifth-hand feedback, and you want to have as much first-hand feedback as possible. So one thing I want to call out specifically that you said is you didn't say more meetings, right? You didn't no. say more people meeting. You yeah. said specifically you said one, one-on-one communication. Yeah, because I think, you know, big meeting, meetings of, you know, beyond a few people are, are usually, in my opinion, useless. Well, but like how, how many times does this come up? Like there's a thing that's happening and somebody's like the leader of that group is like, all right, we need a meeting. Mm-hmm. We got to talk about this. One o'clock Friday. And yeah. then you just get 12 people in a room. That happens every day. I think that's part of conventional wisdom. I think maybe they've seen that somewhere or, you know, <laughs> listen, you know, watch that in a movie or something. They've like seen that. like a stock photo of people in a meeting. In a like, meeting. This must be how. Oh, this is how big <laughs> companies do it. I don't know where that stems from, but that never works, right? Because it's hard to motivate and align people in that group setting. Uh, and a lot of that happens one on one, even on, even if you're on a sports team, a lot of coaching happens one on one or in small groups, not as the entire group together. Yeah, but also like the sports analogy is like you have to 
You can't have a one size fits all conversation with exactly. somebody. You got to know that person. Yep. What's the thing? What's the way that I can talk to this person that's going to get that result? Yeah. And I think, you know, this is a bias that we all have, which is called projection bias, which is uh, we project our own image and the way that we want to be communicated to, uh, onto other people. And, uh, and that rarely works, right? Because there are very few people that you run into are exactly the s- same personality as you. And so you need to, coach and kind of shift the way that you're talking to people depending on their own personality and context. And so that's why it's so important. Not more meetings. I'm against uh, meetings and I'm against especially big meetings, more one-on-one time pushing more people. And this is not just managers. This is like everyone. Push more and more people to speak one-on-one to be able to solve problems. And this actually ends up scaling. Yeah. and But it's funny. You're, you're against meetings, mm-hmm. but you have You'd have one-on-ones all day. I feel like, if, hey, let's go for a walk, just you and me, talk twenty minutes. Yeah. Let's fix this shit because you know that that twenty-minute walk is gonna save like countless wiki posts and emails and Slack messages that are taken out of context. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I think having those one-on-ones have always been my the thing that I've really focused in on. And I think it saves weeks, months, maybe years of pain down the road if you if you spend that time one-on-one. And even having had that kind of always pushing that experience of that one-on-one, I would still find things that uh, in one-on-ones people would say, oh, you know, I'd ask why they were doing something or why they were off on this project. And then ultimately they would say, oh, because, you know, this person and that person, this person, that person, and then this person said that you wanted me to do that. And I was just like, well, I've never said that. Yeah. Right. So you right. got even the game of telephone. Yeah. And that was even happening yeah. with kind of this focus on one on one. So I can't imagine how that happens in what happens in a big company right. where you have lots of hierarchy and process in between people. So that's one example that's more about that because kind of like internal bullshit. Yeah. But what we really wanted to do was talk about uh, customers. Mm-hmm. And so I think the same example applies is like you start. So it's not just about like internal bullshit. It's yep. about are you building things and are you making things that are like really a, be resonating with customers and the mm-hmm. th- example you just gave still applies it's like oh this person told this person told this person that we should build this thing totally and i would hear that and when i gave a talk recently at a company meeting you know i did hear that come up from people like oh we're why are you building that oh because this customer you know these customers want want it which customers uh you know um you know i think that i think this customer and i think that and then another person would be like no they don't want that. Which customer? And so all of a sudden you're finding and, and unraveling this huge game of telephone and people are off, you know, building this stuff. And in bigger companies, people could be going for months, if not years in this same pattern. Actually, the, the two people I was talking to today who were kind of come out of HR, uh, were talking about, you know, a company they were working with where, uh, things had been going on for years that they couldn't even, they didn't understand what was happening. It was kind of the same game of telephone. But if they had just I mean, had the they, conversation, yeah. they would have fixed it. Yeah. It's it's one like a lot of the stuff that we talk about and a lot of stuff that your your mantra is like simple, not easy. Yeah. This is so obvious. And all no this stuff is it. so obvious. I'm telling you, no matter what size of company, 20 person, 100 person, 10,000, 50,000 uh, person company, all these companies, if you spend time and you talk to them, you'd be shocked that none of them do the most obvious thing. Yeah. So solution number one is like, when you start to revert back to the mean a little bit, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, talk catch to yourself. more people. Yeah, catch yourself and say, wait, do we really need a process for this? 
or can I actually just solve this if I talk to Dave, even though Dave's in Tokyo and it's inconvenient for me to talk to him on the phone, maybe it's better if I just talk to him one-on-one and figure this out. And guess what? If you do that, then you're building a relationship with Dave, building trust that's going to help you down the road uh, versus you trying to do that through a process or through a person in between the two of you. You never get to build that trust with Dave or whoever the person is in Tokyo. So you, you use that example because that that's what comes up all the time. Is yep. Somebody will say, you, you say to somebody like, why didn't you talk to Dave? Mm-hmm. And, and they'll say, say oh, ah, I'm busy. Yeah. And then, so they just go, they, uh, I think people are good at this. They just start coming up with the most extreme examples. Or like, oh, he's remote. He's remote. Where is he? Uh, he's in London. So call him. Oh, I can't. I'm busy. Or Why L- can't you? London is six out. Like, yeah. yeah. So wake up early and call him. Oh, I can't do that. I'm too busy. Okay. Uh, so, you know, send him an email then. You don't want to call him. Oh, I can't. You know, my emails might, have you looked at my inbox? It's packed, man. There's too much email in there. Email overload. I'm I'm bankrupt on email. I can't right. send him an email. Okay, so what do you want that to happen? Oh, I think we should, you know, someone else should do this. So how is someone else doing this going to solve the problem that you can't communicate with someone who's five or six hours ahead of you? It's not. And how are you going to build a relationship with that person? You won't. And what will happen in the long run? You will add more and more process, and it will get more and more out of control until someone gets frustrated or something bad happens within the company. The, the, the thing is like, the thing that sucks is that uh, it would be so much better for the long-term whatever of the business if those two people just had a real relationship. Because mm-hmm. you don't have to do with any of that. That person, we talk about drug deals all the time. Yep. Like that person is going to be more likely to do you a favor. Yes, just so drug many. deals are our, our, our term for yeah. favors. So, all right, so the, so the, so I have a question for you. Yeah, go ahead. So uh, I think this is, we're talking about this in the context of inside a company. Mm. But the same excuse, I think, comes up everywhere. And uh, so Dave started to do something recently on all his uh, posts that he's putting out there on Medium and our blog, where he actually puts his email address, his real email address, on the bottom of every post. And if I were listening to conventional wisdom, Dave, I would say, wait a second, you can't do that. How are you going to do your job each day? Aren't you just going to get a bunch of emails? <laughs> Aren't you going to be run over by spam? What? We can't possibly do that. We need a system to do that. Yeah. So how the hell are you doing it? Well, first, if you're listening, that email is dg at drift. Uh, send me a note. I reply to everybody. Um, but first, first, I would say to that is like, show me how, how often have you created something where, where enough volume of people have reacted to it that it would blow up your day? Mm-hmm. And damn, if you could only be so lucky to create something that <laughs> so many people love so much that yeah. they felt the need to, to reply – or something that some people hated so much that they felt the need to reply. Like the goal of creating anything on our end is I would rather I would rather have a hundred people reply to me directly than a thousand people just read a post that we wrote. Absolutely. For example. And so now, like I was saying this to you on our walk over here, is like now instead of just like messing around on Twitter in the morning, right? The first thing that I do every day is I come in and I usually have like, I don't know, between three and 30 people that have emailed, that have replied to something. And it's like, that's the best way you could start your day is you're having real conversations with real people. Those are people who, if, you know, we have a good conversation, could be an advocate for our business, could share something we're doing, could just give us feedback. Maybe I had a typo. (laughs) Maybe they have like a better way to do something. I mean, that's just insane to... If if I only could work for seven hours and the eighth hour was doing that every day, like that's just insane to not spend the time doing Tremendous. that. Tremendous. And I think that same lesson that you've learned there is the same thing that we're talking about inside a company. 
when you rather start that one hour of your day actually having conversations and communicating with people who can actually get shit done with you versus creating some process or, uh, or something that shields you from having those conversations and then causes you to have years of problems down the road. Yeah. It's the same exact Yeah, thing. yeah. That's a good, a good way to bring it back. Uh, all right. Last thing. So the, the more, the harder change here is to, this is something you're a big advocate of. And mm-hmm. we talk about this in that first episode. Um, is to really fight that at a bigger company is just have smaller teams. So yes. just maybe let's, let's wrap up, like just go a couple minutes on like what you guys did at HubSpot and why small autonomous teams was so, was so important. Yeah. And I think, I think this has been the trend that a lot of companies, um, uh, kind of more modern companies. So we did kind of three person teams, engineering teams at HubSpot worked really well. Three was an arbitrary number, but three was powerful in that those three people could actually sit together. Uh, which meant they were shoulder, shoulder to shoulder in the same, co-located in the same space. That meant that uh, they didn't have to ever have any meetings, right? So we were trying to have no meeting kind of culture. And so like they didn't have to have meetings. They didn't have to have communication overhead. Uh, yes, most of them were engineers. So they ended up talking in Slack to each other, even though they were, you know, a foot apart. Uh, but there was no excuse. So we removed all the excuses, communication excuses at, you know, Amazon, uh, supposedly Bezos has the, you know, one pizza or two pizza or I forgot what it was, one or two pizzas, yeah. one pizza. Basically the teams shouldn't be any bigger than, than one being able to split one pizza. And then at Facebook, they've had three to five person teams. Anyway, the, the point is to keep teams so small that you remove the overhead required in communication. And so the only secret between all those examples is that they were small enough that everyone could be in the same room, same place, and so you didn't have to have communication overhead. So if you're in a larger company, I would take a hundred people or a thousand people, and I would figure out how am I going to split them into the smallest units possible, so that they can be move fast, have more autonomy, and have as little communication overhead as possible. It's probably pretty tough to have bullshit if you're there's only two other people on your team, right? Exactly. That that's the that's a, a great um, point, which. You know, I didn't bring up, which is, uh, something happens in this, in kind of having these small teams, they become intimate and there's no one to hide behind. It just exposes a lot of the stuff. Yeah. You just wrote, really, you just wrote a three page wiki rant. Like, I'm right here. Exactly. I'm right there. So you can't do that. But if you're in a hundred person team, it's easy to be the person writing the wiki rant or doing something that's passive aggressive or, you know, not communicating with the people on your team. Very hard to do if you're in a five person team. Cool. All right. That's a good place to end it today. Uh, don't forget, we have a website. Seekingwisdom.io. You can go catch up on all the episodes. I think this will be the 16th one we've done. Uh, it's amazing to see how many people are, are chiming in and, and responding and uh, helping us keep climbing the charts uh, on iTunes for business. Podcasts. Hit us up with that five-star review. Let us know we're doing okay. Give us some feedback and uh, help us by spreading the word. Cool. We're out. <laughs>